for um, especially people that if you're new, I mean for all of us, but we're continuing in a series on the names of God. Um, and if you remember, in their culture, names were really important. They weren't just a label you slapped on a Starbucks cup, right? They, they actually, in their culture, a name revealed who you were. So it's really important that we know the names of God. And we learned the first week that in Exodus 3, when Moses encountered God, and he called him to rescue his people, and he said, what is your name? That God say, my name is I am. In Hebrew, it's Yahweh, a really great name. The I am, like dot, 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 because he can be everything that we genuinely need. His name is just amazing. And so we've been learning that throughout the Old Testament, God has compound names where he will have Yahweh and he'll put something on it to say more about who he is. And so as we've been working through those, we've been learning his names. We just did two weeks ago that Yahweh Rohi, that the Lord is my shepherd. I am your shepherd, which was really powerful. And so we just want to continue. This week, this series to me is really significant, and I want to tell you why. In the last few weeks, I've been telling you why, but I want to say it in a different way. It's so important that we get to know God as he truly is. It's, it's, it's essential. Um, the longest recorded conversation in the Gospels of Jesus is with, surprise, surprise, a woman who's not Jewish. Jewish. Just like last week, the angel of the Lord, the first person who saw him was, was Hagar, a non-Jewish woman, is a, is a Samaritan woman. And he's talking with her about God, and he says a very profound thing. He says to her that God is seeking those who will worship him. He's seeking worshipers. And he's seeking people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. So in spirit, what he's saying is it's got to come from the heart. It's got to be a genuine giving of myself to him in love and relationship, right? It's got to come from here, not just religious stuff, right? And the other thing that he says, though, that's equally profound is he says, they must worship me in truth because God needs to be worshipped, wants to be worshipped, wants to be known as he truly is. As he truly is. I mean, isn't that not with true about you? Do you not want to be known as you truly are? If you hear word of somebody spreading a rumor about you, something of what you're like, and if you think that's not me, you want to, you want to counteract that, right? Because we want to be known as we truly are. And God wants to be known as he truly is. And that's why he gives us these names. So that's why it's important that we study them. Um, because we want to know him as he truly is. Now, today's name is found in Jeremiah chapter 23. And you don't have to turn there, because this morning, I'm going to have all this on the screen. And I would like to invite you to stand. I want you to read along with me. You're not going to read with me in Jeremiah 23, but I want you to follow with me. So if you would stand as I read in Jeremiah 23, Um, a quick setup. This is God speaking to the king and the religious leaders of Israel of that day who were not leading and shepherding his people well at all. And this is God speaking to them. So we're going to be in Jeremiah 23, and I'm going to start reading in verse 1. So just you just quietly follow along. What sorrow awaits the leaders of my people, the shepherds of my sheep, for they have destroyed and scattered the very ones they were expected to care for, says the I am, Yahweh. That's what the Lord in all caps means, right? Therefore, this is what the I am, the God of Israel, says to these shepherds. Instead of caring for my flock and leading them to safety, you've deserted them and driven them to destruction. Now I will pour out judgment on you for the evil you have done. But I will gather together the remnant of my flock from the countries where I have driven them. I will bring them back to their own sheepfold, and they will be fruitful and increase in number. Then I will appoint responsible shepherds who will care for them, and they will never be afraid again. Not a single one will be lost or missing. I, the I am, I have spoken. Man, when he speaks, he speaks, right? I have spoken. And then he's going to add something really important. And here's how verse 5 reads. 
For the time is coming, says the I am, when I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line. He will be a king who rules with wisdom. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. And I want to stop there for a second because this is a clear reference to the Messiah who would come, the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ, the one who would make everything right. And I want you to get ready. Are you ready? Because he's going to reveal one of his names now. And he's not only going to reveal one of his names, but he's going to say something profound about the Messiah. And here it is. It's in verse 6. This will be his name. Messiah, this will be his name. The Lord, I am, is our righteousness. The I am is our righteousness. In Hebrew, it is Yahweh Sidkenu. And I, wanted, I want you guys to say this with me, but I wanted to give you a little bit of help because sometimes it, it's helpful to have help. So it's pronounced if you took Sid and put it with canoe, okay? So I want you to actually uh, say this for me. So I want you to say with me, Yahweh Sidkenu. Ready? Yahweh Sidkenu. Okay. You may be seated. Yahweh Sidkenu. The I am is our righteousness. And I want you to know this text that we just read. This last part especially, this name, it is radical on two counts, on two counts. Number one, it is radical because what it says about the Messiah, because, you know, the Jews that were expecting the Messiah, the Savior of the world, to come into the world, but God revealed something really radical that when Messiah showed up, it would just not be a man who's a great prophet and a great teacher. It would be God himself who would show up. It would be Yahweh. Is that not profound? So profound thing about Jesus, the coming Messiah. But it also is radical to me because it says something else that's totally counterintuitive. That's not the way we normally think about religion. But he's gonna, he says in this statement something that is central to the Christian faith. It is central to the Christian faith. And it is this. Yahweh is our righteousness. The I am is my righteousness. The great I am is your righteousness. I'm not my righteousness. He's my righteousness. My righteousness is found in him and in him alone. And that's really profound. And here's why. Because that's not how most people think, right? That's contrary to how we think. People tend to think, here's what people think, that if I'm just good enough, if I'm just righteous enough in and of myself, that I can earn heaven, right? If my good at the end of my life just simply outweighs my bad, then I'm in with him. That's how most people think. And I want you to know, this is what most religions teach. But the Bible teaches the exact opposite of that. The exact opposite of that. And so that's what I want to delve into this morning. Because unlike any other religion, the Bible teaches that I am unable to come to God in my own righteousness. I'm unable. In fact, I want to show you the Bible's view of our righteousness. It's in Psalm 143.2, where it says that no one living is righteous before you. Now, why in the world would God say that? Why would he say that? It's because in Isaiah 64.6, it says, we are all infected and we are impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they're nothing but filthy rags. Is that not a really visual statement? I like how the NIV puts it, that in God's eyes, all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Why is it that God sees our, our goodness in that way? I mean, think, I think if you're like me, if you know your own heart, don't you know that your goodness is always a mixture of pure and impure, that there's impurity in me, that, I, I, that my righteousness to him is dirty and filthy? 
You know, the Bible says that we have all sinned and all have fallen short of God's perfect standard. Every single one of us. Every single one of us. So the reality is I cannot save myself. I can only be saved through him and his infusion of righteousness into my life. It's the only way to come in his presence. So I've got a lot of questions that I was thinking through this week. So then how can I come into God's presence? How can I come in? And I would say this. I hope this is what you leave this morning knowing, that it is only through Jesus the Messiah, Yahweh Tzidkenu, the I am, is our righteousness. It is only through him that I can come into the presence of God. And I want to show you one of the most important texts in the Bible that speaks to this. And it's in Paul's third, third, his third letter, his letter to the Roman believers, chapter 3. We're going to read verses 20 to 28. Normally, I would want you to turn there, but I'm going to have it on the screen. And if you don't mind, I'm going to ask you to stand one more time with me. So if you'd stand one more time, I want you to actually read this with me, okay? It's a profound text. Um, So let's jump in. And are you ready? I want you to strap yourself in. I want you to hear what God says about his righteousness, okay? So Romans chapter 3, read with me. No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law, rather through the law We become conscious of our sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then was boasting? It is excluded because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. And this is the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Can we say amen? All right, do you believe it? Okay, if you don't, that's okay. But for those who do, so have a seat. I see four things in this text, four questions that popped into my mind that I just want to quickly hit. My first question was this. Whose righteousness is the focus? Not just in the Bible, but in this text. Is it his or is it mine? And all I have to do is just show you those verses again. In verse 21, it talks about the righteousness of God. In verse 22, this righteousness, referring back again to the righteousness of God. Verse 25 and 26, it refers to whose righteousness? His righteousness, twice. So the emphasis in the Bible is upon upon his righteousness, not upon my righteousness. Because he is Yahweh Tzidkenu. I am is our righteousness. And then my second question is, well, that righteousness of God, is it something that's earned by me, or is it something that's given by him as a free gift? And again, the scripture is quite clear in verse 22. This righteousness is given 
it is given. And verse 24, all are justified freely by his grace, by his grace. Pretty clear, right? God offers his righteousness as a simple gift to me that I receive from him. And it's something that I don't earn through my own goodness. And then to me, the obvious third question is, then how do I receive this free gift of salvation, this gift of God's righteousness? If I want that, how do I receive that? And again, Paul is so clear. In verse 22, he says, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Through faith in Jesus Christ to all believe. It is to be received by faith, verse 25. Verse 26 speaks of God as the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Verse 27, that it requires faith. And verse 28, we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So I am saved by me putting my faith and trust in Jesus as my Savior. And through that, I receive the forgiveness of my sins. And that's what brings me back to the Father. Then I had one more question because I always want to know how things work. So I'm like, okay, how's that work? right? How's that work? We're told in verses 24, 26, and 28, that's where we're told, where you see three times a form of the word justified. Three times in this text. It's an important word. That when I put my faith in Jesus and I receive his atoning death on the cross, that I am justified. I kind of feel like a two-year-old. I've got so many questions. Well, what does justified mean, right? What's that mean? So I want to get a little theological on you this morning. Is that okay? Actually, I think it's important that we do this, that we have, it's important that we have good theology. So I want you to hang with me a minute, all right? What's it mean, this justification? A way that Bible scholars speak of this is with the word imputation. I'll make that clear in here in a second. Essentially, it is this, that Jesus lived the life that I should have lived, and he died the death that I should have died, and that on the cross, he was bearing fully the punishment for my sin. That the penalty for my sin is what he was bearing on the cross. Not just my sin, but for your sin. So that on the cross, my sin and its punishment was imputed to him. Okay? My sin and the punishment was imputed to him. And if I welcome him into my life and I received his gift of forgiveness, then at that moment of receiving that, his righteousness is imputed or credited to me. Does that make sense? It's credited or imputed to me. His righteousness is put in my account. In a sense, it's written on my ledger. He bears my sins, which are not his own, and I see received from him a righteousness that's not my own. Is that not good news? Those of you that have that, is that not good news? Hallelujah. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.29, God made him who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that's what it means to be justified. In the words of verse 20, it is to be declared righteous by him, okay? The scripture talks about we're clothed with the righteousness of Jesus. And that's why Romans 4, 7, and 8 says this, the chapter after, blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered, because they're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Blessed is the one who sinned, the Lord will never count against them. So here's the bottom line. I am saved by Jesus' righteousness and not my own, right? I'm saved by his righteousness, not my own. Yahweh Sidkenu, the Lord 
is our righteousness. Now, look for a minute at the beginning of verse 27. Back this up. Here's what Paul wrote. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because you, you see, I can never boast of my own goodness, my own righteousness. My boast is only in him and in his righteousness. I glory in Christ and Christ alone. That's the only boasting. It's heavenward, right? Jesus has done absolutely everything necessary to save me. Christ alone, he's done absolutely everything. I bring absolutely nothing to the table of earning my salvation. I bring absolutely nothing. In the words of the great hymn by Robert Lowry, not our Rob Lowry, okay? Wherever you are, Rob, it's not one written by you, but by the famous Methodist hymn writer of the 19th century. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And that's why Paul wrote in Philippians 3, which we just sang. I love that song, one of my favorites. Philippians 3, 8, and 9. I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So you see, at its core, at its core, Christianity is not about what I do. It is about what he has done for me in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. That's what it's about. Christianity is not spelled D-O, do. It is spelled D-O-N-E, done. Done by him. I am certain that there are people here this morning who are trusting, to this point have been trusting in their own righteousness, in their own goodness to bring them into relationship with God to save them. And here's how I know that. Um, I know because that's the default of humanity. That's how fallen humanity, that's how we think. I know because I was there. Back when I grew up with no faith, and whenever I imagined getting to heaven, that's how I imagined it. You know, we want to be the ones to earn our salvation. Is that not true? We want to wear that badge of honor. That's what is normal with humanity. But I want you to know today, I want to challenge some traditional thinking, right? Not, not challenge, I just want to give you a new way of thinking, it's this, that perhaps, perhaps the straightest path to hell and to eternal judgment is entrusting in my goodness and righteousness to get me to heaven. Does that make sense? Maybe that is the straightest path to hell for many of us. I mean, even before I knew church or any of that, I had heard enough, I knew this idea that Jesus died for my sin, right? I think we hear that enough in our culture. And there's, that's true, he did die for my sin, and we need to be saved from our sin but we also need to be saved from our goodness. We need to be saved from our righteousness. In fact, Billy Graham used to say that it's not usually people's sins that keep them out of heaven. He said it's their good works that keeps most people out of heaven. He said that it's people's pride in their own goodness, and it's that sense of personal worthiness that keeps them from throwing themselves on the mercy of God and trusting Him for their salvation. 
when I was in North Carolina about a month ago when Carissa got engaged, and we were at the, the big party after party, I heard J.D. Greer talk about this topic, the need to recognize our spiritual poverty. And he talked about that the preaching of the first great awakening that was back in the 1700s. And he said that the preaching in the first great awakening had this dual message of the need to repent of my sin, of my wrongdoing, but also the need to repent of my goodness, of my righteousness. I mean, why repent of my goodness, right? Because for a lot of people, it is their goodness that actually keeps them from coming to God and being able to know Him. And that's why Scripture says that I must come to Him in brokenness, in humility, that I must come in a contrite heart. That's what Scripture talks so much about. In full awareness, with empty hands, a full awareness of my sinfulness, but also of my inability to save myself. My inability to save myself. J.D. told a story about a farmer from Hartford, Connecticut, who went to one of those great revival meetings in the Great Awakening. And he wrote in his journal about what happened there, and here's what he wrote. His name was Nathan Cole. And he wrote, my hearing Whitfield preach gave me a heart wound, gave me a heart wound. By God's blessing, my old foundation was broken up, and I saw that my righteousness would not save me. My old foundation was broken up, and I saw my righteousness would not save me. Some of you today need your old foundation broken up. You know that? You need your old foundation broken up. You need to come to the realization that your goodness will not save you. It will not save you. That you can never come into God's presence on your own. That all we can do is come to him as a beggar, literally with nothing to offer, with nothing to offer. That's how we come to him, not with my righteousness. Coming to him, confessing that I am poor and wretched and I'm, I'm naked and I'm blind, that I'm a sinner and that I cannot save myself. I'm throwing myself on his grace. I come to him in the words of another great hymn, Rock of Ages. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Thou must save, and thou alone, because he is Yahweh Tidkanu. I am, the I am is our righteousness. Again, praise be to God. Isn't it nice to be reminded of that good news? That I don't have to live on the treadmill that most people live on of simply trying to be good enough to earn my way into heaven when that has absolutely nothing to do with it. That I am set free by this good news. I just love this good news. So I'm so happy to get to proclaim this because sometimes we need to be reminded of that, right? It's good to be reminded of the good news. Good to be reminded of that. You know, um, we're going to have a baptism here in a minute. And anytime we do this, um, I always emphasize something that really fits in really well with what I'm saying this morning. And it's this, that Christianity, Christianity is not about making bad people good. That's not what it's about, right? It is about Jesus taking people who are dead and making them alive. This is the story of Jesus, that I don't have righteousness I bring to him but that I come to him and he gives me new life. Ephesians 2, 1 says that because of my trespass and sin, that I'm, I'm dead because of those things. And that the only way to have life is to do that through Jesus. And that's why Jesus said, you will not enter the kingdom of God unless you are born again. You have to come to the point you move from death to life, that you quit trusting your goodness. 
and you repent of your sinfulness and come to me. And that's why Jesus said in John 5, 24, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life, from death to life. That's our message. Not from bad to good, from death to life. If you're here this morning, and if you have never repented of your sin, and especially of your own righteousness and goodness, maybe this is the day. Maybe this is a time to turn your life over to Jesus and to accept his gift of salvation. Um, If today is the day, if God's speaking to your heart, and you're like, I'm ready to take that step. I've been trusting in my own righteousness. After the service, I would love, just come up here. People are going to be milling around. They won't be paying attention. Come, I'd love to have a conversation with you about that, what, what that looks like. Or maybe you're visiting or you've only been here a few times and you're like, that would kind of feel weird for me to go up there and talk to him. Um, so in the back, on the tables as you leave, I've got a little booklet that will explain how you can come into a relationship with Jesus through forgiveness of sins and his grace. So I've grabbed one of those on the way out. Um, one more thing. We're about ready to do the baptism. This is so exciting. I love this. These are all people who have come to the point of having accepted Jesus as their Savior. They've repented of their sin and of their goodness, and they've just thrown themselves upon him and have received his mercy. And so I always, when we do a baptism, I want people to be crystal clear on what is not happening here, okay, this morning. Okay, this has got a lot of stuff on it. Essentially, God is a covenant-making God. Whenever he enters into covenant with people, he always gives a sign, an outward sign, a visible token of the covenant they've already entered into, okay? Baptism, this has nothing to do. The people who step into this water, this is not them earning a little more righteousness so they can get closer to God, right? Or more likely to go to heaven. That's not what's going on here. These are people who are saying, I have accepted Christ as my Savior already. I have been justified that imputations happen. All I'm doing is I'm coming up like a wedding ring and I am publicly showing people a covenant that I've entered into a relationship. This just shows people that I've accepted Christ. I've already got the relationship. Okay, does that make sense? To me, that's really important that we understand that. Because here's the good news, that Jesus died for my sin. And I want you to see, because a sign is a picture. I always tell couples when they get married, it's round because your love should be, should be an eternal love with each other. I mean, a non-ending love, right? We don't, end, we don't end that relationship in divorce. It's precious metal because marriage is precious in God's sight. So baptism is a picture that Jesus died for my sin, that he was buried, and that he rose to new life on the third day. And he did this to offer me forgiveness of my sins, a new life with him. And to give me his righteousness. And that if I will just receive him, that in doing that, that I die to my old self, that I'm buried, and that I rise to new life. That in receiving him, I'm cleansed of my sin. I rise to new life in him, and then he clothes me in his righteousness. And so when you see, you know, Chloe, Sandy, Aurora stepping into this water, they're not saying I'm getting saved at this moment. What they're saying is I've accepted him, and that old me, the day I did that, That old me died, and there's a new me in Jesus. That's what they're saying. So that's what this is, okay? So I just want to be really clear on this. This isn't earning anybody points with God to get to heaven, okay? So are we ready to do this? I am very ready to do this. So if those who are going to get baptized would come. sing a song, just recounting the gospel and praising that it's Christ alone that can set us free.
God's people said, Amen. Amen. Yep. Yeah, can we like, isn't God awesome? <laughs> Yahweh said, Canoe, He is my righteousness. Praise the Lord for that. So let me pray. Father, thank you for Kathy for her baptism this morning. Thank you for the reality that I don't have to work myself into relationship with you, but you did it all. Thank you for the freedom that's in that. So. Lord, if there's anybody here this morning who's been relying on their goodness and doesn't know you, may you really speak to their heart and draw them to yourself to that point of just coming to throw themselves upon you. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, 12, you are sent to live for him. That's what our baptismal calling is all about. Again, grab a booklet on your way out um, if you'd like to have one to learn about the gospel.